Well, good morning. Basics and fundamentals are important in whatever endeavor you get involved in, whether it be athletics, whether it be music, whether it be some sort of academic pursuit or your vocation, knowing and applying consistently, steadily, the the basics and fundamentals really ensure that you'll have success, uh, that you'll get to where you want to go and become the person uh, that you want to be. It's just as true in the spiritual life. And so today we're going to be looking at a very basic fundamental truth of the scriptures of the Christian faith, because if we do not grasp it or apply it or make it our reality, we will struggle at times, be frustrated with ourselves and never truly become the person that God has called us to be. Sky Justani is an is a author and speaker, and he tells a story about a night when uh, uh, about a series of meetings that he had with students on a Christian campus. They would gather and they would look into different topics, heaven and hell, salvation, other faiths. Uh, how do you do evangelism, uh, dating, on and on and on. But each conversation had three basic rules. Be honest, be gracious and be present. And on one night, the students wanted to discuss the topic of habitual sins. In other words, those those attitudes, thoughts, behaviors that we struggle with. We all, each one of us maybe has a, a couple, two or three that are or one in particular that really is a struggle for us, whether it be our temper or, or lust or jealousy or impatience or whatever it might be, something that just we just can't seem to shake, even despite our best efforts to change. And, and as they shared these these struggles, they all agreed there's one topic, one theme that seemed to raise up. And it was this. They all seemed to believe that God must be very disappointed in them. After he listened to their stories and kind of picked up on this theme, he asked the question, how many of you were raised in a Christian home? Most of the hands went up. How many of you were raised in and attended a Bible-centered church? Most of the hands went up. But all of them seemed to have this idea that when they struggled with sin, especially a besetting sin, a, a hard sin to shake, that God must be very, very disappointed in them. So the question I want to address this morning, <laughs> or a series of questions that all are tied together, is what can God do for sinners like you and me, who are, are doing our best to varying degrees to, to change, but often failing? How does God think about us today? And do we believe that God is disappointed in us when we struggle? To answer this question, I want us to look at a great passage of Scripture that uh, Katie just read for us. Romans chapter 8. It's, it's a fantastic chapter in a fantastic letter that really has the, the power to, to shape our worldview because it's so full of theological truths and points us to, it gives us a lot of insight into what it means to follow Christ in the Christian life. And we're going to be spending the next several weeks, actually, in this chapter. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. Paul begins chapter 8 of Romans addressing the very dilemma that we just began with, the whole idea of, of our struggle with sin. You know, uh, today, actually at this hour, our eighth graders, or some of them anyhow, are, are beginning confirmation. Um, and, it's, uh, <laughs> and they're looking at uh, different topics throughout this time. But one of the topics they'll look at is the definition of sin. And here's the defini- uh, definition of sin that they'll be looking at. Sin is everything that is contrary to God's will 
in word, deed, or thought. That's pretty inclusive, right? (laughs) It doesn't leave uh, much wiggle room for us. And so Paul, um, in he's answering this question because it begins with, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is he responding to? Well, in chapter seven, he gives a, a profound description of what it looks like and feels like to be fighting against sin, but failing in that struggle. Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Does that describe your experience at times? I know it has mine. It really, to some extent, is the experience of everyone who, who desires to follow Christ. They've, we've known the, the, the desire to, to want to obey him, to honor God, but we end up feeling frustrated, feeling inadequate, feeling like a failure when we, we don't. We want to do good, but we end up doing the very thing that we don't want to do, that we said we would change. We want to please God, but the power to to, to do so, to change our lives, seems to be out of our grasp. And given this struggle, and given his own experience, Paul says now in chapter 8, two things. First, he says, the answer to this dilemma, this whole struggle, he says, is Jesus Christ. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize our need for Christ, then we're in a very good position indeed. We're exactly where we need to be. Because notice Paul doesn't say, wretched man that I am, what must I do? What must I change? He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? He knows that it's beyond himself, that he needs something outside of himself. And the answer that Paul comes to is Jesus. So if you feel like you don't measure up, then the answer is not to try harder. The answer is to look outside of yourself to Jesus Christ and all that he brings and allow his Holy Spirit to change you and shape you. We're going to be talking about what this means and looks like in the coming weeks as we work our way through Romans 8. But Paul also says a second thing, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. In the first few verses of chapter 8, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So back to our original question, what can God do for sinners like us who are trying our best but too often fall and fail? God removes all condemnation. Is God disappointed in you because you struggle? No. He has provided a Savior and He's removed all condemnation. So let's ask a few questions now about this chapter, this passage. What does it mean? On what basis are we no longer condemned? And what difference does this mean and make? First, what does it mean? Here's what Paul means. He's he's using a, a legal term here when he says no condemnation. 
It's, it's, it doesn't mean only that you're not condemned. It's stronger than that. It means that you are completely free from any debt or any penalty for your sin and struggles. Not only are you no longer under condemnation, but it does not even exist anymore in God's world. It's gone. No charge against us can stand. No one can condemn us. We'll see that also later at the end of Romans 8. It's not just because we don't deserve to be condemned. That's, I mean, it's, it's not because we don't deserve to be condemned, condemned because Paul has just built a case, a very airtight case that, that we're all guilty before a holy God and that there's not one person, the best of us or the worst of us, who can escape because nobody measures up. We're all in big trouble except that Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like the way that Sam uh, Storms uh, puts it. He says, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no valid excuse why you should ever again experience fear or apprehension about your relationship with God or your eternal destiny. Uh, As the old hymn says, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. That's the what. We deserve condemnation, but that condemnation does not exist for us anymore. It's gone. Who? Now, we move to the who. Of course, that's what we want to know. Who does this apply to? Paul does not say Christians are free from condemnation because they are sinless, but because they are in Christ. When we are in Christ, everything changes. And what does that mean? To be in Christ means that we put our trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. That we are in a relationship with Christ in which all the benefits of his life his death, his resurrection, his obedience are, are ours. They're imputed to us because we are united with him. And Paul says that when, that when we are in Christ, in this relationship with him, that there is no longer any condemnation for us. Now let's look at the, the when. When are we no longer condemned? This is pretty obvious. It's right there. Now, he says, now there is no longer any condemnation. It's not later, after we clean up our act. It's right now in the middle of the struggle with sin. Not when we get older. Not when we mature more in the faith. Not when we give more or pray more. Not when we know the Bible better. It's now. I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He says, if you got a hold of this idea, you will have discovered the most glorious truth you will ever know in your life. He says, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. In other words, the problem for a lot of us is that we live a lot like the students that I mentioned at the beginning of the message. And we assume that our standing with God is based upon our performance for him. To put it in theological terms, we base our justification, our standing before God, on our sanctification, our growth in Christlikeness and holiness That does not work. It puts us in a precarious position because how do you know if your performance is good enough? How do you know if you've grown enough in Christlikeness? What happens when you begin to slip or backslide? Lloyd-Jones describes what it looks like if we don't get this truth. He says, they seem to think of the Christian as a person who, if, if he or she confesses their sin and asks for forgiveness, is forgiven. And at that moment, they're not under condemnation. But then if they should sin again, they're back once more under condemnation. Then they repent and confess their sin again. They ask for pardon and they're cleansed once more. 
So to them, the Christian is a person who is constantly passing from one state to another, back and forth, condemned, not condemned, in good standing, not in good standing. The Christian is a person who can never be condemned. No condemnation. The Apostle Paul is not talking about his his experience, but about his position, his standing, his status. He is in a position in which being justified, he can never again come under condemnation. That is the meaning of this word, no. It means never. So the good news is that you don't have to be perfect because Jesus Christ has been perfect for you. And if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, even though you may continue to struggle. And we will. And this is a truth that can grasp, if we grasp it, can change our lives. And you can, I encourage you to personalize it. There is therefore no condemnation now for fill in your name and live in the reality of this truth. Next, on what basis is there no condemnation? Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Paul here is contrasting two laws, the law of the Spirit of life on the one hand and the law of sin on death on the other. And he's saying, in essence, we used to live in a way that was controlled by sin and death. We know what that's like. Trying to change a bad habit or pattern or struggling with it can't ever seem to change despite our best intentions. And here's the thing. We, we tend to think that we have some control over our lives. But Paul says that apart from Christ, we're actually not in control. We're under the law of sin and death. And it produces all the wrong things in us. Things like impatience or, or anger or lust or apathy or bitterness, jealousy, and so on and so forth. And as long as we continue to live under the domination of sin and death, we're in trouble. We're not going to be able to change, really, in a a lasting way. But Paul says that when we come to Christ, something happens. He says, now the, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Sin has been has been defeated and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. As Douglas Moo asserts, it is God's spirit coming to the believer with power and authority who brings liberation from the powers of the old age and from the condemnation that is the lot of all who are imprisoned by those powers. You've probably seen this. I've seen it many times over the years. A a restaurant or a store changes hands, changes ownership, and often they'll put up a sign in the window or on the door it says, under new management. Well, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we've put our trust in him, you can put that sign in your life as well. You're under new management. You're not condemned. Because Christ has dealt with the penalty of sin by dying for your sins, but he's also broken the power of sin through the resurrection. You're no longer condemned. You're under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit who who will change you as you follow him from the inside out. So in other words, the basis of the no condemnation is not us. It's not about our worthiness. It's not about performance. It's not about our sinlessness. The basis of verses one is what God, through Christ, has done for us. What can God do for sinners like you and me? He removes all condemnation. 
Well, let's make this practical in the last couple of minutes. Let's next ask, so what? What's the relevance for us? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so what? Well, first, this can be your experience. This can be your standing. The great news about the gospel is that it's available to any and all who are desperate enough to want it. You don't have to have your act together. God's grace is available to you now. Remember that what Christ said in Matthew 9? He says, He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to salvation and faith. Jesus will welcome you, and when he does, he takes all away all condemnation. That can be yours today. The second answer to so what is, is again a very practical. When the pressure is off spiritually, you can relax, you can rest assured that you are accepted before God. You cannot earn it with nothing to prove. There is no condemnation. And what matters now is, is not how much you can accomplish for God, although we are to serve him, we are to do good works, but not in a way to earn our salvation or to impress God. But what matters most is how much God loves you and me in Christ Jesus. A while back, I, I saw a post on Facebook, a little poster that said, a list of things that can separate you from God's love. And underneath it, there was nothing. The list was empty. The list is empty. So in the middle of your struggles with sin at times in your life, remember that. Do never, never, never doubt God's love for you. You know, I talked to a lot of people about matters of faith, and one of the themes that kind of comes up a lot is, as you talk with people, they'll, they'll kind of say, well, I don't really feel that good about myself or I feel inadequate. I don't, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I measure up. And, and, and being a, a kind-hearted guy, I say, you're right. You don't measure up. I say it a little more sensitively than that and more con- carefully than that. But that's, that's, that's a good place to be, really, is to know that you're not worthy, you're, you're not adequate, that you're going to fall, and you don't measure up because nobody does. But Christ did and Christ does and he has given to us his life his perfect life his righteousness he's given that to us and because of that we don't have to fear condemnation so how do we take this truth and make it very practical make it our experience again I turn to Martin Lloyd-Jones the first thing you have to do is to say farewell now once and forever to your past Look at your sins and say, it is finished. They are covered by the blood of Christ. He says, this is your first step. Take that and finish with yourself and all this talk about goodness and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what you need is not to make more resolutions and to live a better life, to start fasting and sweating and praying. No, you just begin to say, I rest my faith on him alone who died for my transgressions to atone. Here's a good litmus test to see if you really are getting this. The next time you struggle or fail, how do you respond? Do you kind of try to manage it? Do you you run from God and try to clean yourself up a little bit before you approach him? Or do you, with repentance, but also with confidence, come to the throne of grace? If you don't do the latter, if you don't approach the throne of grace with repentance and confidence and humility and gratitude, then you probably... 
you probably don't understand the gospel, at least not at that moment in that situation. Because we are most offensive to God when we come to him with all of our efforts because we're still trying to earn what's freely given. In Christ, we are both righteous and sinner. But even as we struggle, there is no condemnation. Finally, this truth sets us free. We're not just set free from condemnation. We're also set free to serve, to love God, to love others, to honor him with our lives. We're set free to live in a new and better way. Now, you might have been thinking, and this is something that Paul addresses in, in actually anticipates this question in Romans 6. Okay, if you push this to the extreme, doesn't this give permission possibly to people to kind of say, hey, I'm saved, I'm not, con- I'm not condemned. I can kind of take God for granted, do what I want, live my life the way I want. Paul very strongly addresses that in chapter 6 and says, no, you can't do that because sin paralyzes you and guilt and shame hinder you. And do you truly understand grace if you thumb your nose at God and just kind of do what you want even after he's died for you and you've accepted that? This passage sets us free from all that stuff. It helps raise us beyond self-help. It's a much better way than formulas and willpower. If we want to be set free from sin, then we are to lean into the truth of this verse and see how God sees you in Christ Jesus. I want to close this by talking about a scene from the movie Moneyball. It came out in 2011. It's a true story based upon a book and true experience of Billy Bean. He was the general manager for the Oakland A's baseball team. And um, when he became general manager, he, he kind of became enamored with Bill James and the sabermetrics and using statistics and all sorts of formulas to project players and winning and all that stuff. And he hires a man named Peter Brand, who's kind of his statistician, math guy who kind of helps with, with all these stats. And it seems to work. They, they have a winning record. Uh, in 2002, they win 20 games in a row. But despite all their success, they lose in the first round. And he's devastated. And he's sitting alone in the clubhouse, and Peter Brand comes in and tries to convince him, hey, it, it worked. We won pretty big. But he's not convinced. There's really not much consolation to him. And so Brand invites Bean to the video room. And Brand has queued up a, a segment <laughs> excuse me, of a tape for him to watch. A clip about a guy named Jeremy Brown, who was a minor league catcher for one of their minor league teams in California. And in the clip, he's at bat. He hits the ball, a deep shot, sends it deep in the center field. And he rounds first base, and then he stops, and he dives back. He falls, and he crawls back to first base. And he kind of clings to it like a frightened child clings to teddy bear. And everybody on the field and the dugout, they're all, even the announcers, they're laughing at him. Why? Well, Brand says he's about to find out why. He's going to realize that he hit the ball 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run. He doesn't even realize it. And Bean stares at the screen as, as he finally discovers that the ball went out of the park. He jumps up and he circles the bases, runs around the bases, excited and celebrating. This is an analogy or a picture of what Romans 8, 1 and 2 mean for us. We don't have to cling to first base. Christ has already hit the home run for us. His righteousness, his perfect life has been credited to our account. And we can now have peace and security and right standing 
no condemnation with God because of it. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to crawl back to first base and cling to it. Instead, we can, we can run the race set before us. We can round the bases joyfully and confidently as we head towards home because of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We're grateful for the truth of the scripture. Lord, forgive us when we try to participate in our own salvation. When we begin to rely upon our performance and we get proud. Or we despair because we look at our performance, we know it's not good enough. We're not living up to who we're supposed to be, to God's standards. Help us instead, Lord, to focus on Jesus Christ and his performance, his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, his resurrection. All these things done for us, accessible to us, given to us, when we put our trust in him, when we're in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I pray for each person here that in their own struggles with sin from time to time, (laughs) that they remember these words, that they would look to Christ in repentance, but also in humility and confidence, knowing that your grace is sufficient and that we are no longer condemned. Thank you, Father. Amen. Would you stand? So we respond to the message you just received.